Let's do the smart thing and let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to uh, start a new book here, we pray as always your spirit would teach, we would listen, help us to grow in this, to really see what you have in store for us, Lord. And Lord, lots of sickness still going around. I just pray for your hand of health and healing upon all those affected and missing a lot of people here. Just pray you'd be with them. We stop and say thank you in your name. Amen. Ready? Romans chapter 1. We've got two sheets. Now we're going to be doing things a little bit differently here. We're going to be starting our study in the book of Romans. And now as an epistle, an epistle means that this is a letter written to a person or to a church. It comes across a bit differently. You know, we just got done doing our study in Acts at the end of November. And Acts is this narrative. You know, it follows the story. So it's really easy to keep that going. With an epistle, it just reads a bit differently. You know, Romans has 16 chapters. Now, obviously, when Paul initially wrote this letter, it wasn't this idea of the chapters in there. Chapters and verses were added years later. You know, when Paul would write this letter through the Spirit and it would be given to the people at Rome, the understanding would be as they would sit down and read this book, they would read it through in its entirety. It's a letter. You know, if you'd get a letter in the mail, my boys uh, share letters with one of their cousins, Linda, and when they get a letter from Linda, it's not like we break it up into sentences and we read five sentences today, read five sentences tomorrow, and skip a couple days and come back and read five sentences. No, you read the letter in its entirety. So here, when they got this letter, they would read it in its entirety. The problem is when we come and try to teach this, time constraints keep us from doing all 16 chapters at once. So what happens is, I've been doing this now for 17 years. I've kind of got to the point of saying, okay, I know how much we can get through. We can get through this chunk. But, you know, i got to stop there. But that verse really goes with this. And there's so many times where we stop and say, well, if you remember correctly, a couple weeks ago we shared this verse we try to tie it all together. So I want to try something different. What I did is went ahead and prepared Romans 1 through basically about the end of chapter 3. That's the first main section of Romans. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through this. We may get through this sheet in a week. It may be six months. I don't know. But this is what we're going to be doing. And then when we get to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it changes. Look at Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God. See, now he's changing themes a little bit. So we'll do this first theme, and then we'll get a new sheet and go from there. So here's the, it is, really simple. Your first sheet is free. From here on out, they're five bucks a piece. Don't lose them. Now, we'll have copies back there. But if you're like the typical 21st century Christian, you have bulletins from the last six months in your Bible. Fold it up, stick it in your Bible, and that way you're good to go here, hopefully, for the next few weeks. Because we want to really be in this and just understand the importance of this, of getting into God's Word. Now, two other little side notes here before we actually get into our study in Romans. Speaking of being in God's Word, for the month of December, we really encouraged you. December, 31 days, book of Proverbs, 31 chapters. Read a different uh, chapter of Proverbs each day for the corresponding day that you're on. If you're on the 4th, you read chapter 4, etc., chapter 5 on the 5th. Now, I've been doing that uh, for December, and now for January, I've actually been doing Psalms. So I don't know what's going to happen when I reach the end of January, since there's a lot more than 31 chapters in the month of January. So I've been reading Psalms. Now, I encourage you, find something and do that with. I'm liking Psalms. If you want to do Psalms, hey, let's do Psalms together. Now, if you're the type of person that says, well, I don't really want to do that. I'm picking up something funky here. You know, chapter 4, chapter 5, I've planned ahead. There's 28 days left here, counting today in the month of January. Go find a book of the Bible that has 28 chapters. And just read that for the rest of January. That would be like Matthew. That would be the book of Acts. If that sounds a little daunting to you, hodgepodge it. Grab Hebrews. It has 13. 
Grab Galatians, it has six. Now you're up to 19. Thrown in Ephesians, you're up to 24. And Jude and three Johns, you got 28. Just do something like that. Find yourself in the Word every day. That will bless you. I promise you that. So get in the Word there. Other thing real quick, I just want to make sure you know, uh, we got up a couple weeks ago in Jordan and Ryan. I almost said Jordan and Ryan Momeyer. Jordan and Ryan Rudder are going to be uh, taking a missions trip to Mexico here this year, this spring. If that's something that interests you, uh, they're going to be having an informational meeting next Sunday after the 10 o'clock service. We encourage you to stick around for that, get the details, get the information concerning that. Be in prayer. If that's something the Lord's laid on your heart, we'd really like you to get involved with that. And uh, that's going to be next Sunday after the 10 o'clock service. We'll have an informational meeting about that. So with all that introduction, Romans, please. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Like I said, let's just start it and see what happens here. First verse, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul will stop there. It's going to take us a bit of time. We need to understand the background here. Paul had never been to Rome. He really wanted to go to Rome. He had a heart for Rome. He had a heart for the people of Rome. So this letter is really a spirit-led, heartfelt letter to the people of Rome saying, I want to be involved with your life spiritually. I want to know you. I want to bless you. I want you to bless me as we both grow in their walks with Christ. So this is a heartfelt letter here. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to me an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he had promised before through his holy prophets and the holy scriptures. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the introduction. Back when they would write in the Greek at this time, they would write these big introductions. Now, today, we just write, Dear So-and-So. We would write, Dear Rome. Paul doesn't do that. It's this long introduction here to kind of introduce the themes that are going on. And the theme for our first section here in Romans is all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. You can look at your sheets there. The gospel means good news, good tidings. That's what it means. So when we say we're presenting the gospel, we're presenting good news to people. The good news that they can have salvation. The good news that they can be free from sin. I don't know where it happened, but we've lost this perspective that the gospel is good news. It's the most amazing news you could ever imagine. That's why we want to tell people. It's not a have to, it's a want to. We have this amazing message of salvation. Let's get out there and tell people about this. The good news of Christ. And this is that theme. Look here in chapter 1. It talks about the gospel of God in verse 1, the gospel of His Son, verse 9, and the gospel of Christ, verse 16. As we've said before, if God says it once, it's important. If He repeats Himself, pay attention. If He's saying it three times, boy, you really better be focusing on this. Three times in the first 16 verses of Romans, He's trying to tell us about the gospel. That is the theme. That is the focus. And that is all that matters. I tell you, when you go out to work this week, when you go out to life, get back to school, whatever it is, there's so much that's going to try to pull you down. You have work situations that are going to be tough. You have home life situations. You have situations at school. You have health issues. You have financial issues. Fill in the blank. All those things are going to take away your time and your energy, etc. None of those things matter. The only thing that matters is are people saved? Are they going to heaven or are they going to hell? The gospel is all that matters. We allow ourselves in this world to get worked up about too many things that are not eternal. It's the gospel of God, the gospel of His Son, the gospel of Christ. is the good news. Paul is basically trying to tell us here in Romans, this is all that matters. 
So what is the gospel? Well, he explains it to us in verses 3 and 4. Jesus was a man, look at verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, but he was also God, verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God. That's the gospel. Jesus was man, but yet also God. That's that theme there. God came down in the form of a man, but still was God and took care of our sins. That's what we're trying to present to people. That's what's trying to come across. So what does this gospel really mean? What does it represent? If you're a note taker, you can write some notes in that section there of the sheet. But Romans 4 talks about this idea of how Sin is a debt we can't pay. We can't pay it. No matter what we try to do, we owe this bill a sin, and we can't pay it. There's nothing we can do. So Christ had to come pay that debt for us. The two passages there, 2 Corinthians 5.21, talks about Jesus was without sin. Next one, 1 Peter 2.22, talks about Jesus was the lamb without sin. Christ was the sinless man, but yet God, who could take care of our sin. That's the gospel. See, now imagine you had a debt that you can't pay. And this debt is just overwhelming to you. See, if I come to you and say, hey, I'm willing to pay that debt for you. So, I'm coming to you and I say, I'm willing to pay. I'm going to write you out a check. Oh, they don't accept the check. I have the willingness, but I don't have the means to do it. Or what would happen if you had this debt you can't pay and I'd come to you and say, I will pay that debt for you. You feel relieved, but then I come to you and say, I'm sorry, but I don't have any money to pay it, but I'm willing to. So, I'm willing, but I don't have the resources. Or if I come and say, I'm willing to pay that debt for you, but they don't accept my money. I'm willing, but I'm not accepted. See, we as humans could be willing to take care of sin. I could say, I love you enough that I will die on the cross for your sins. And it will not be accepted by God. Because I'm a sinful man trying to pay a debt for somebody that I can't pay even for myself. It doesn't do any good. That's why Jesus is the only one that can do it. He was man, but yet not sinful, and so he could pay a debt that we owed. We can't pay a debt for ourselves or for somebody else. It has to be taken care of by somebody who has the means and the resources and will be accepted, and that person is only Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. Jesus was a man, but yet God that can take care of it, and that's what we want to present. That's what we want to tell people. And guess what? When we present this gospel, what do we receive? Verse 5, through him we have received grace and an apostleship. We receive grace. Grace is such a beautiful thing. Such a beautiful thing. God is loving us and taking care of us and and meeting our sins and expecting nothing in return. Well, that's grace. Look at that passage we wrote down in Romans 3.24. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It's by grace we are saved. Grace is this gift that God gives us that we can never pay back. We're not worthy to accept. That's grace. And that's kind of one of Paul's themes too, which we'll get to that here later on in the book of Romans. But we receive grace from the gospel. What else do we receive from the gospel? An apostleship. We receive a calling. See, that's what that means. Apostleship is Paul was called to do this. He had a purpose in life. Now, let's just stop here for a second. And I don't mean to pick on anybody, but I'm going to pick on people for a second. This is generally what happens. Sometimes people come up to me and say something to the effect of, um, they're struggling in life. They don't have a purpose. What am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing? So I usually ask them, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Okay, good. Well, this is easy. Your purpose is to go spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That's all, that's all your purpose is. That's all that matters. That's your calling. And then usually at that time I hear this, okay, I know that, but. And I usually interrupt them saying, but what? God has not promised you anything else. Let's just, be, let's just be completely blunt for a second. God has not promised you health. He has not promised you wealth. He has not promised you a spouse. He has not promised you kids. He has not promised you any of those things. He has said, I will give you salvation, and I ask in return, go tell as many people as you can about it. That's, that's our calling. Problem is, that's not good enough for us. It's not good enough to just be saved and tell people about it. We want more in life, and we feel we have expectations. And what Paul is trying to say here, no, the only calling you have in life is to tell people about Christ. And if you do that, you are fulfilling your purpose in life. That is all that matters. Now, if you've gotten married, yes, your purpose now is to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and it's also your purpose to respect, honor your husband. You know, if you have kids, it's your, now your responsibility and calling to help raise them in a godly way. Yes, it expands. But ultimately, specifically, the main thing that happens in life, your calling is to tell people about Jesus. Now, I love you all, and I'm telling you this to you in love, and I'm telling this to myself. Why is that not good enough for us? It's not, is it? We, we want more. I mean, if I told you that's your only purpose, you're never going to get married, you're never going to have kids, you're never going to get, quote-unquote, what you want, but for the rest of your life, you get to go around telling people about Jesus. Boy, that wouldn't excite us, would it? We expect more. And really what has happened is we don't realize how important this gospel message is. That's all that matters. So what is our calling? Let's break this down. Verse 1. Our calling is to be a bondservant. As we go around spreading the gospel, our calling is to be a bondservant, verse 1. Now, depending on your translations, your translations may say servant, your translations may say slave. I think bondservant is the best translation. This term bondservant is a wonderful term. It means literally devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. Think about what that means. I am so devoted to Christ. What I want doesn't matter. It does not matter. What only matters to me is serving my master, is serving Christ. That's all that matters. So when we call ourselves a bondservant, that's a huge deal. A huge deal. Peter called himself a bondservant. James called himself a bondservant. Jude did. Paul did. They stopped and realized the only thing that matters is I'm going to disregard everything I want and just focus on what God wants for my life. Now, you can take that one of two ways. You can either take that amen, the God of the universe, the master of this world. I am now his servant. Or you could take it number two. Oh, great. I don't get anything I want. Wait a second. Don't we believe that God loves us enough that he's going to meet our needs, take care of us, and he's not going to take us down a path just to torture us? See, a part of being a bondservant is I willfully, willfully devote myself to another to disregard my own interests. Because I trust that master so much that he will take care of me. It's a great word. The next one, Paul, verse 1, an apostle means one who has been sent Sent for a purpose, sent for a specific command of God. I firmly believe that if you seek the Lord, the Lord will tell you, I have a purpose for your life. I've already told you that. The gospel, and that, and that purpose can be filled in many different ways. Maybe you share the gospel through serving in the back. Maybe you share the gospel at work. Maybe you share the gospel to family and friends. I don't know. But he has a purpose for you. He has sent you for a reason. And lastly, verse 7, we're called saints. 
Saints, separated to God. Now, we've said this many times out here before. We, as the 21st century church, even the 20th century, have changed the word saint. Saint now means super Christian status. That you're better than everybody else. You're a saint. Saint just means separated to God. What it means is God has plucked you out of this world, separated you for a purpose, and says, now I want to use you. So think about this. What is your calling? You're a bondservant. You willfully disregard your own interests to serve the Lord. You're an apostle, meaning been sent by the Lord for a purpose. You are separated to God as a saint. That is your calling. You have a purpose. Now, I love you. But if you come to me and say, I don't have a purpose, I'll probably scream at you now, okay? Because you have a purpose. You may not like it. You may not think it's good enough. You may want more. But you're wrong. Because your purpose is to get out there and tell people about the Lord. And you may say, well, that's not enough. Hold on. Look at verse 5. When you're obedient to this purpose, the result of that is joy. See, Jesus said in John 15, verse 11, that when you're obedient to what he's called you to do, there's joy. I've been thinking about this. I could take a day and fulfill any pleasure I want. And I don't even necessarily mean sinful. I mean, just do whatever I want. And so I could watch whatever I want, do whatever I want, etc. And I could lay in bed at night and I could think, wow, that was fun. But it was temporary. I'm going to get up the next day. It was temporary. Or I could spend a day in obedience to my Savior and go to bed at night in joy, saying I made an eternal difference. I made an eternal impact. See, we have to get our focus back on what is joy. Joy is being obedient to what God has called you to do. And if you're in a spot right now where you know in your heart you're not being obedient to what the Lord has called you to do, you probably don't have a lot of joy in life. You're actually probably a little miserable, probably a little bitter, a little frustrated, because obedience brings joy. Obedience to the calling that God has given me, that I'm sent for a purpose, I'm a bondservant, I'm a saint separated by God to spread the gospel, that is what will bring me joy in life. That will give me that purpose. Now, flip your sheets over, if you will, real quick. Because what we're talking about is being part of this idea of the body. Being with each other. Paul desires that. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests that by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I may have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. What you see here in verses 8 through 15 is Paul's desire, the body of Christ. There's a desire to be with each other, to grow with each other, to encourage one another. Now, let's talk about this for a second. Why don't we like that? Why don't we like the idea of being a family and being a body? You know, we live in this idea now of what I like to call fast food churches. That if we don't like what's happening here, we just move to the next church. We just jump around till we find the one that we like the best, per se. Not necessarily where God has called us, but we just like the best. Now, don't get me wrong. There's legitimate reasons to leave churches sometimes, theological, etc. But there's a lot of times where the whole focus of the church is just numbers. 
You know, how many services do you have? How many people do you have coming? And I'm telling you, that's enough. You never win that game. It's not about numbers. It's about seeing souls saved and seeing people go deeper in the walk and relationship with Christ. That's what matters more than anything. And so to do that, to really encourage one another, is to let down all of your guards. Why don't we do that? Why do we kind of do the whole solo Christian route? Because if I allow you into my life, or if I allow myself into your life, I am opening myself up to hurt, to anger, frustration, and bitterness. Because as soon as I let you in my life, I'm accepting the fact that you're going to hurt me sometime. You're going to let me down. You're going to say something that hurts me. Or if you let me into your life, I'm going to disappoint you sometime. I'm going to hurt you. And so therefore, it's just easier to put a wall up and not let ourselves into other people's life. It's what I call the fort mentality Christian. We're going to build a fort. We're going to stay in the fort. And we're just going to hope Jesus returns as quickly as possible. So that way we don't have to deal with this, the body of Christ. I'm sorry. That's not biblical. And what happens is we think we're saving ourselves from hurt by building walls and protecting ourselves when really we're hurting ourselves more than we could ever imagine. And it comes back to, quite honestly, a selfishness. I've talked to a lot of people over the years, and I would say, you know what, you need to get more involved. I don't want to get involved. Why? Christians are hypocrites. Yep, we are. I'll say that right now. Correct? You know, I've gotten involved in church before and I've been hurt. Yep, I've been hurt before too. You know, I mean, any excuse you have, we've been down this path before. I've tried to get involved in people's life, nothing good came out of it. Hey, I got a list right now of people I contacted last week and they've ignored me. So if you've ignored me, I know you've ignored me. You know, I know what it's like to be ignored. I get it. Listen, when you get involved in the body of Christ, you're going to get hurt. That's what happens. And people say, well, this is why I don't. Okay, here's the problem. My answer is biblical. Yours is not. It is biblical for God to say to us, you're a body, you're a family, come together with all your warts, ugliness, and pain. The response of, I don't want to do that to not get hurt, that's not that's the solo Christian thing, as God said, no, don't do that. Listen, think about this, for example. If, if your left arm gets broken, and it has to be in a cast for a while, it has to be in a sling, you don't just get up one day and say, I'm cutting it off. You allow that arm to heal. You put that arm in a sling. It's awkward for a while, and it happens. If you stub your pinky toe, you don't grab the butcher knife and say, forget this. You limp for a while. It hurts for a while. You put some ice on it. But yet, in the body of Christ, when we have a member that's a broken arm that hurts us, forget them. I don't want to deal with this. We got a little pinky toe member that just is kind of an annoyance. Forget that. That's not biblical. It's biblical to go to that broken arm Christian and say, how can I help you? And as you try to help them, just like with a broken arm, you touch it, you scream, they scream at you. I don't want help. I'm telling you right now, if you come to me or I come to you and I know you're hurting and you say, I'm sorry, I don't want any help, guess what that makes me do even more? Want to help you. Because those that are generally hurt are the ones that lash out and scream the most. Which to me shows you're hurting more than you're willing to accept. So that means I'm going to pray for you more, I'm going to contact you more. Not to annoy you, but because you're hurting and I want to be there to try to help. See, we have reached a point as, hey, broken arm Christian, move on. You can't move on. That broken arm sticks with you no matter where you go. 
And this is what Paul is trying to tell us here. Look at verse, our first point. What does it mean to be part of the body? It's a team effort. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. It's a team effort. I hate it when I see churches competing against each other. I hate that. Listen, grow in Christ. That's what matters. Encourage other people to grow in Christ. That's all that matters. It's a team effort. So it's not about ministries within the church competing against each other. It's not about any of that. What can we do to help each other grow? And what happens is if you run into Christians that don't have that team mindset, they're difficult to get along with. Of our five boys, our middle boy, Kenan, is a very individual boy. has a very individual streak to him. But sometimes he's not a team player. And we were just playing a game downstairs in the basement the other day. And whatever game we play, if we say, hey, let's go do this. Kenan always says, nah, I don't want to. And he'll purposely pick something different. You know, we have all these tents set up. Our boys in this tent phase right now. So if you come in our basement, there's tents all over the place. So what happens is they turn on a little um, night light and they shut the lights off and they say, it's nighttime. So we're all going to go in the tent and sleep. So we all go in the tent to sleep. What's Kenan do? Nah, I'm going to sleep out here. Kenan, we're going to go play nights. Grab your sword. Nah, I'm not going to do that. So I sit him down and I say, listen, do you know what it means to be a team player? And his definition of a team player is you do what anybody tells you to do. I said, no, that's not the definition of a team player. That's not. That's part of the problem. We think a team player is, I just have to agree with you to have peace. No, that's not the definition. So I explained to him what it means to be a team player. And I say, listen, it's, we're, we're a family. We're a family. And family means sometimes we play some games the other one doesn't really want to. We adapt a little bit here. We adapt a little bit there. Same thing happens in the body of Christ. As a team, we all have to be flexible with each other. We're all broken arm Christians coming in together to work hopefully to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. There has to be a team effort. That's verse 8. Next one, verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention you always in my prayers. How about we pray for each other? And not just say it, but do it. Seriously, we as Christians just throw that phrase out there without even thinking anymore. Hey, I'll pray for you. I mean, do you mean that? And I hope you do. I really hope you do. But we just throw that out there. I'm going to share with you a couple things, and this is stuff we've been talking about for the last year. I encourage you. In fact, I don't encourage you. Just do it, please. Take the directory. Pray over these people. Every day, pray a different letter. You may not have to pray Q. I can't remember if we have any Qs or not. You may get a day off on Q. But you'll make it up on S's and T's. That's just the way it happens. Find these and pray for these people. That's why we do on Wednesday night. We take time at the beginning and pray for these prayer requests. You know, as I'm walking around, I carry this with me. And it's my little um, day planner. And this is, I get one every year and I write everything down. And so, for example, on a Sunday, I've already just started writing down people. People that I see, it's like I need to pray for them or I need to follow up with them. And I'm not going to tell you who it is because I don't want to embarrass you, but your name may be on this list. And so what happens is I go home today or tomorrow and I go through this list and I need to contact these people. I need to pray for them. Now, my calendar ends today, Sunday, January 4th. So either I need to buy a new calendar or Jesus is returning today. I don't know which one. But do this. Write these things down. I mean, seriously, let's be a church that gets involved and prays for each other and really, and really does this. And I, I don't know how many times I've encouraged you, during the break, get up. Go talk to other people that you don't know. Invite them to Bible studies. Get involved with them. Be involved. Look at verse 11. 
For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts that you may be established. Have a desire to see other people grow. Have a desire. Really care that these people grow. Care that they're not here. Notice who doesn't come. Notice who's been missing. Notice who's new. And get involved. This is the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. And then as you open up your life to them, and they open up their life to you, verse 12, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. You're encouraged, and I'm encouraged. Now, once again, why don't we do this? Because for me to open my life up to you means, once again, I'm opening up my life to hurt and disappointment. And by you opening up your life to me, you're opening up your life to hurt and disappointment. Some of us have convinced ourselves, build a wall, it's easier. That's not biblical. So you know what? We talk. And as I, you tell me a prayer request, I write that down. I pray over it. And then during the week, maybe when I'm reading in devotions, I run across a verse that makes me think of you. And so I shoot you a text or an email and say, hey, I'm praying this for you. Or maybe I follow up with you during the week and say, hey, how's that situation going? That's what Paul is telling us to do. Verse 11, I desire to see you grow in the Lord. Verse 12, I desire to encourage you and you hopefully desire to encourage me. That's the way the system is supposed to work. It's not supposed to be show up on Sunday, shake a few hands, say hello, have some casual conversations, go home, wait six days, and repeat it again. We're supposed to be helping each other grow. It's difficult. It's difficult to involve yourself in other people's lives. It's difficult to accept the fact that there's going to be hurt, bitterness, and pain. I tell you this right now. I promise you. If you make a desire and an effort to get involved in other people's lives and they get involved in your life, to disciple like we talked about, I promise you this, this is what will happen. You will get hurt, you will have pain, you will get bitter, and you will get frustrated. But you'll also help each other grow and you'll also understand what it really means to be a body of Christ. I've never seen solo Christians really be as fruitful as they possibly could be because God has designed us to be a body. Now, I always share those things with you, and I always tell you, get out there, get to know people, etc. And so I just wanted to share this with you. Uh, I got an email a while ago, and I asked the person, I said, can I share this email? And they said, yes. So I'm not going to tell you who it was, but they said I could share this email. I found this very funny. It says, quote, I was thinking about when you said about people who sit in the same seat and never get up during fellowship. I say that all the time. Get up. Don't be afraid to meet somebody new. Don't be afraid to do that. I'm one of those people. Only, I'm not upset when people don't talk to me. I'm content either way. If people talk to me, great. If people don't talk to me, great. I'm really okay either way. Then I was thinking, maybe I should feel bad that I feel good. But then I thought, but then I thought I shouldn't because it takes all kinds of people. Here's the good that comes from us sitters. This is what they call sitters. So if you don't get up and talk to people, here's the good. Number one, if everyone got up out of their seats, there'd be too many people in the aisles, overcrowding, if you will. So, number two. Who are all these circulating people supposed to be talking to there if no one is sitting? Sure, they can run into each other figuratively or literally, they can talk. However, us sitters offer those a rest because there's usually an empty seat beside us thanks to people who get up to circulate. I'm happy there's all kinds of people. The downside of a happy sitter, one, we might get blood clots. That's what they said. So, so if you want to know who wrote that, come up and talk to me afterwards and I will gladly tell you. But I found that very funny. 
It's tough being part of a family and being part of a body of Christ. It is tough, verse 8, to have team effort. It's tough to pray for one another. It's tough to have the desire to see each other grow, verse 11. And it's tough sometimes to encourage you, you encourage me, verse 12. I understand that. I completely understand that. We have convinced ourselves, once again, build walls, hide in the fort, everything's fine. Even if it's not fine, just say it's fine. Say I'll pray for you, try to pray for them, and then just get through the week and do the process again. I love you, but that's just not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are a body of Christ that is there to help each other, encourage each other, desire to see each other grow, pray for each other, and be a team effort on this. That's what God has called us to do. It is difficult, and for some of us, it's not exactly our personality. And I'm not saying, once again, that you have to, every single week, by the force of the pastor, do it. But as the Lord leads you, get to know people. So I kind of want to close with here. Can you go to um, 1 Corinthians, please, 15? Actually, 1 Corinthians 12, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12. I sometimes get frustrated as a pastor because people don't have the same temperament I do. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes I get frustrated where I'll talk to somebody and I'll, and I'll be like, hey, have you seen so-and-so? So-and-so? No, I haven't seen him in a while. And I'm thinking, you haven't noticed that they haven't been here for a month or two months. No, I never noticed it. And I'm like, why, why don't you notice that stuff? That's, that. I'm the pastor. That means I have a calling to shepherd the sheep. Those are the things I notice. There's certain things that I will not notice. I, I know I walk into church sometimes and people that notice, hey, that wasn't picked up. That wasn't taken care of. That light switch wasn't shut off. That heat wasn't turned off. Those are things I may not notice because they have that gift of a servanthood ministry. We all have different gifts. And that's what I want to kind of talk about here. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's diversity of ministries, but the same Lord. And diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Real quick, what that just means in verse 4, all of us have a different gift. Holy Spirit given gift to be used for the body of Christ. We can't all have the same gift. If we all had the gift of being a pastor, no one would probably ever sweep the floors. So if we all had the gift of ministry, of serving, no one would ever teach. So we all need different gifts. Verse 5, there are differences of ministries. Ministry is where you serve. If we all said, we're worship team. Okay, Sunday morning, we have 300 people up on the stage. No one out there worship. If we all said, we're all children's ministry. Now we have everybody back there. We all have different ministries. Verse 6, there are different diversities of activities. You know, Matt got up and shared about this Bible study for men, you know, ages 18 to 30. You know, if you're a woman age 24, um, God love you, but you're not invited. It's a different activity. I don't usually hang out at the ladies' prayer time groups. That's a different activity. There's different activities for the church. If you have little kids, you're going to get something out of VeggieTale video nights and fill in the blank. If you don't have kids, you're not going to get anything out of that. It doesn't mean one's right or wrong. There's different activities in the body of Christ. But here's the key, verse 7. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit all. Meaning, God has given us all something, something to bless the body. Verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles 
to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. Here's verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Why? Verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. That's the goal. We are one body. Your gift is different than my gift. Your ministry is different than my ministry. Your activities are different than my activities. But we're still the body of Christ. And then what happens here in 1 Corinthians 12, it goes on to basically say, verse 17, if everybody was an eye, where would be the hearing? If everybody was the hearing, where would be the smelling? We need all these different personalities. We need all these different gifts because that is what brings the body of Christ together. Here's the problem, though. We have a tendency as sheep to like to be around the other people like us. And sometimes we do not see the big picture. So we get so focused on this, we don't see that ministry. We get so focused on this, we don't see that ministry. That's why it's so important to say, hey, you know what? I'm never going to go to the ladies' Bible study Monday at 1 or probably the ladies' Bible study Friday at 9. I'll still pray for them, though, because it's blessing the other women in the church. I'm not going to go to Matt's Bible study because he made an age limit and I'm too old. But I'll still pray for it. Because I care that that body is being ministered to other people. What Paul is trying to say here in this first part of Romans, the gospel is what unites us together. It unites us in Christ. It unites us in a purpose. It unites us in a calling. So let's not let the little things become big things. Let's not get ourselves off focus. Let's focus on being team effort praying for each other, desiring to see others grow, and encouraging other people in the Lord. When they hurt, we hurt. When they rejoice, we rejoice. That's the goal here. So we're going to stop right there. So if you want to, make a little mark. We're going to pick it up again next week. About